All right, so I wanted to finish up tonight uh, what, we were, what we had started uh, really the last few weeks. So we're in, in Jeremiah chapter 32. If you have your Bibles, let's look down in uh, Jeremiah 32. And uh, by way of remembrance, we've covered uh, verses 1 through 5 dealing with uh, Jeremiah, the faithful proclaimer of God's word, of which he was rewarded with imprisonment. And uh, we also need to be faithful in regard to proclaiming God's word. Uh, and then we need to be, uh, and we need to do that under uh, proclaim God's word regardless of circumstances and proclaim God's word regardless of consequences, as did uh, Jeremiah, then we need to be faithful investors. That's what we talked about this morning. Faithfully, uh, be faithful investor in God's field. Be a faithful investor in God's field. Invest where God commands you to invest, uh, even if it doesn't make sense sometimes. We talked about that this morning, and uh, we also saw the need to, uh, we talked about a lot of practical investments. I won't rehearse all of that with you all. Uh, and then we saw the the need to um, that the, where we saw that the evidence of your investment should be revealed uh, to the world. Jeremiah thirty two thirteen through fifteen. He sealed um, and publicly got witnesses uh, the deed of the property transaction, and so it was a legal exchange. And then the third thing we saw is that the evidence of our investment should be sealed in our hearts. And we talked about how Paul's investment in people was manifest. He said in Philippians one seven that. I have you in my heart. So there's, a, there's actually an investment of uh, the word of God into other people, and it knits our hearts together. And, uh, and then there should be, Jeremiah reminds God of his investment in Israel. And that's what I left on this morning is that prayer, that priestly prayer of GM, Jeremiah, uh, really for his people and acknowledging that with God there's nothing impossible. And so he has acted by faith. Uh, and I exhorted us this morning as we were, uh, you know, leaving to continue to pray without ceasing and to pray always, as Second Thessalonians 1, 11 tells us to do, as God has counted us worthy of his calling. So as we pick up the text again uh, tonight and we finish this up, this thought, I want you to just look down at verse 26 of the text of Jeremiah 32. And it says, here as we look at the end of this chapter, and it says, And now therefore, thus saith the Lord. So God has, kind of like the book of Job, God has an opportunity to respond to this prayer that uh, was offered up by Jeremiah. And uh, this is his response. Now, remember what he said when he started all the way back in in, uh, in verse 17. He says, Ah, Lord God. Now, he exclaims that. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there's nothing too hard for thee. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to look at your word. There is nothing too hard for thee. Uh, Lord, you have dealt with a, a difficult people uh, in Israel, and you deal with a difficult people in us at times. And we're so thankful for your goodness to us and your graciousness, Lord. Uh, we pray, God, that you would build us up on the inside to be good stewards of the resources that you provided uh, to expand your kingdom uh, for your honor and your glory. We pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word tonight and uh, the responses you gave Jeremiah. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So God says to Jeremiah there in verse 36, And now, therefore... Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city. Wherefore you say, it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. Uh, of course, why is he saying that? Because God told him that, right? That's why he's saying that, because it's true. Verse 37, behold, I will gather them out of the countries whither I have driven them in mine anger and in my fury and in my great wrath, and I will bring them again unto this place. And I will cause them to dwell safely. And so God changes the whole tone here. And he says in verse 38, And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way, 
uh, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and for their children after them. I mean, you talk about grace. How gracious can you be? Verse 40, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. Wow, how incredible. Notice what he says there too. He says, I will plant them in this land. They're, they're organic, like a plant. I am, the, I am the vine and they're the branches. For, um, he's the root and the offspring of David. For thus saith the Lord, uh, uh, like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. And, and fields shall be bought in this land, whereof you say it is desolate without man or beast. It is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Men shall buy fields for money and subscribe evidences and seal them and take witness, as you just did, Jeremiah, in the land of Benjamin, which is the property he just bought, and in the places about Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah and in the cities of the mountains and in the cities of the valley and in the cities of the south. For I will cause their captivity to return, saith the Lord. I mean, what an incredible promise that is. So I'm glad you came because you got the good no, you got the good story right you got the good part of the message, and so point A at the study here if you got your outline from this morning God's response begins with an important question, in verse 27 he says Behold I am the Lord the God of all flesh, is there anything too hard for me? And so what he's asking Jeremiah is Hey Jeremiah what do you what do you think about what you just said about how hard God you know he said very clearly they have done nothing that you've asked them to do I read it this morning they haven't done anything. And they deserve everything you're giving them. You know, I mean, he was not holding back. And uh, and God's like, hey, Jeremiah, since you bring up that there's nothing too hard for me, let me talk about something that seems too hard. <laughs> let, let, let's see how gracious I can be. And uh, the power of God is incredible. When God asks questions, we need to take special note. The only other place you'll see this question, this is an interesting question, by the way, and I didn't know this until I was studying this passage out. Uh, this concept, is there anything too hard for God? It may ring in your mind, did in mind when I heard that. I thought, well, I've heard this before. Where did I hear it? Well, Genesis eighteen fourteen, the Bible says there, and I think they got on the screen, is there anything too hard for the Lord? It doesn't say for God or for me, but is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for Jehovah? And that's in Genesis eighteen fourteen. At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. The barren womb, right? Uh, the man of faith, Abraham. God has comes to him and, and speaks to him and promises him a promised seed. Is there anything too hard for me? And of course there isn't. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? So before God drops judgment on Sodom, he promises a miraculous blessing to Abraham's seed through the conception of Isaac. And then we immediately get our attention off and start looking at that story of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is intense. And, and we should because that's, that's a scary story. But you know what? Before that, before that judgment comes, um, he is dealing with, with uh, the promise to Abraham. And so God is pointing prophetically to the solution to all of our problems, of course. Isaac is going to be born from a dead womb and uh, the seed of faith, uh, from the seed of a faith-filled father. And this is a picture of Christ. The seed of the father was miraculously placed in the womb of a woman, dead in trespass and sins, and the sinless son of God was born. The impossible became possible because of what? 
the power of God. So you're not going to be surprised when I tell you that Luke chapter 1 and verse 37 is another mention of this phrase. For with God, nothing shall be impossible when we're dealing with the promised seed. The birth of John the Baptist uh, is a part of the story of Christ's coming, and that's who we're talking about there in the book of, of, uh, of Luke uh, one thirty-seven. In Luke 18.27, the, the Bible says, And he said, The things which are impossible with men are, are possible with God. Now, this is Jesus talking to the rich young ruler about how a, a rich man can enter into the kingdom of God. It's impossible unless, right, unless... You have God, right? With God, nothing's impossible. And so God can make a way when it seems there is no way. And that's really what he's telling Jeremiah. You know what? I can, I can make a way, even when it seems to be no way. And Jeremiah, I have a way. So the provision, this is point two of your notes, uh, of sin in Jeremiah thirty-two, thirty-five. Jesus, he points out that he, that he never thought his people would fall so far into idolatry. That's what, I mean, God even says that himself. Look down in verse 35, just to... Uh, remember what we saw this morning. It says, and they built a high, they, they built high places of Baal, which are in the valley of, uh, of the son of sons of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire into Moloch. Now God is speaking here as well. I didn't read all of this for time's sake. He says, which I commend, uh, commanded them not. Neither came it into my mind that they should do such abominations to cause uh, Judah to sin. So God says, I never actually thought in my mind it was possible that my people would actually go so far as to participate in all those pagan activities all the way to the point of burning their own children and offering to Molech. I never thought I'd see my children down at the abortion clinic for a buck, right? And so uh, he just was like, it didn't even come into my mind. I mean, that's wicked. And so um, he never thought that would happen. And perhaps there's some here, uh, maybe you're here this morning, then they felt like, hey, you know what? I'm so far away from God that I could never get saved. I mean, I've, I've gone as far as you can go. But you know what? You haven't gone too far. i got great news. You, can, you can't outbad God's good. And that's one of the encouraging things I find in Jeremiah. Because there's a lot of bad. If you look, read verse 26 through 30, uh, 35, it's, there's a lot of bad. It's so bad that God eventually, he concludes that section by saying, it got so bad I can't. I mean, it wasn't even in my mind, and I know everything. So he goes, this is not what I had in plan for my kids, by the way. Talk about, for those that are, you know, uh, Calvinistic, Look at just look at what God said about his own people. Obviously, they had a decision to make there, but that's another message. So so you can't, out, you can't outbad God's good. So as wicked as your sin may be, God's grace is greater. God can forgive you through the power of Christ. Now, I know people start getting nervous and say, oh, no, now you're talking about license. No, now I'm talking about mercy. Mercy, because condemnation is just, and that's what God acknowledges. Jeremiah is not wrong. God is great. Israel has sinned. They have done nothing, and he is not wrong about that. And God says, but you know what? I'm better. I'm better than you can ever imagine. So point B, God is merciful to save. God is merciful to save. In verse 36 through 34, we've already read that, but just to kind of touch on that just a little bit again, he says in verse 36, And now therefore, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city. In particular, we're dealing with Jerusalem. And we know that God, even to this day, has a plan for Jerusalem, even though today, uh, here in the coming years after the catching away, it's going to be called spiritual Sodom and Egypt, the place where Jesus was crucified. But in spite of all of that, God has a plan for it. Wherefore you say, it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, and by the, fam- and by the famine, and by the pestilence. I and mean, we're talking about that right now, aren't we? 
There's coming a time of tribulation upon that city. That is the city in particular where Jesus returns. Behold, I will gather them out of all the countries. What a, you know how prophecy kind of loops all the way through the Bible. Isn't that something? I will gather them out of all the countries, whether I have driven them in my anger and in my fury. Right? We had that great diaspora, and now it came back in 1948. I will bring them again into this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. That hasn't happened yet, by the way. And I will give them one heart and one way. That one way is going to be found in John. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life when they come to him. And I will be their God, and I will give them one heart and one way, and that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. It's a generational blessing that God wants to give them. And then he says, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do evil or to or, uh, from them to do them good. Uh, I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put fear in them to uh, to do them good. And I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. And that's amazing. The whole heart and the whole soul of God. And, of course, he planted himself, uh, and he demonstrated that himself when he gave himself on the cross. For thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. Jeremiah, you're not wrong. There's nothing too great for me, nothing too hard for me. But you know what? One of the hardest things you can imagine is restoring these people, and I'm going to do it. For thus saith the Lord, verse 42, like as I have brought... All this great evil upon this people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. The fields shall be bought in this land. Now, here is what I want to conclude on. Verse 43. Not just the field, but the fields, plural, shall be bought in this land. Whereof you say, Jeremiah, your report is, is desolate without man or beast. It's been overran by the Chaldeans. It's been destroyed. People are in famine. It's given into the hand of the Chaldeans, as he says there at the end of verse 43. But God says, men shall buy fields for money and subscribe evidences, just as you've done, and seal them, Jeremiah, just like you did, and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin, just like you did. And in the places about Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah and in the cities of the mountains and the cities of the valley and all the cities of the south, for I will cause their captivity to return, saith the Lord. So God goes beyond judgment. To mercy. He goes past judgment to mercy. In the introduction, I mentioned in Jeremiah 1 and verse 10 that 66% of Jeremiah's message was concerning destruction. And 33% of Jeremiah's message was a message of mercy and redemption. Jesus was 33 years old when he conquered sin and death nearly 2,000 years ago. And God promises to give Israel a relationship. Jeremiah 32 in verse 38. And he got and God promises to give Israel a new heart in Jeremiah 32 and verse 39. And God promises to give Israel eternal security in Jeremiah 32 and verse 40. And God promises to plant Israel in a promised land in Jeremiah 32 and verse 41. And God promises to keep his word even though Israel has not kept hers in Jeremiah 32 and verse 42. So God uses Jeremiah's faithful obedience as an illustration as a living epistle to show how he will restore his people. So even though Jeremiah was suffering, God used the weeping prophet as an example and an illustration of what it looks like to have mercy in a time of judgment. Jeremiah is a type in that he wept over Israel. He interceded as a priest. He suffered for doing right, and he spoke the truth uh, to his own hurt. 
And God fulfilled his promises to restore Israel when they returned from captivity under Darius and Artaxerxes. God fulfilled his promise and restored Israel when they returned after Harry Truman granted the land in 1948. And God will fulfill his promise in full in the coming millennium when he will rule and reign on this earth and grant Israel the millennial inheritance that he's promised them. And so uh, that completes the, the third point, which is in 2024, we need to be a faithful example of God's promises. It would seem to me that Jeremiah actually was on a need-to-know basis, as I said as I ended this morning. He was on a need-to-know basis. He, he understood the, the right message. He behaved himself the right way. But I'm not sure he fully grasped that he was the example that God was using uh, for the rest of the people of Israel. And, beloved, I think that is the, the neatest thing, that uh, one of the, the things I take away is we look forward to growing in faithfulness in 2024. Uh, that is exactly what we need to be as an example. But you won't, we, and I won't be, you won't be an example if we're not first a, a faithful proclaimer and we're not a faithful investor. And uh, you know what? Those were the two things that Jeremiah was before he was a faithful example. Uh, and he was just focused on proclaiming God's word and doing what God told him and investing. And the next thing you know, he was an example. I don't even, I'm not even sure the more I read it that he was even aware of that. So in 2024, in a year where we need to grow in faithfulness in our investment in the kingdom of God, Hebrews 11.5 says this, By faith Enoch was translated, that he should not see death, and was not found, because God has translated him. <clears throat> For before, <coughs> before his translation, he had this testimony, that he pleased God. That's what his testimony was. Before he was translated, he pleased God. Verse 6 says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, <coughs> and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In a nutshell, that's exactly what you see in, the, in Jeremiah, in his life as a whole, but also in Jeremiah 32. Is who, by faith, Jeremiah, uh, he sought God, and he sought to please God. And in doing so, uh, it was a blessing. Enoch was a man who before he was translated had the testimony that he pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. If there's going to be a transaction in times like these, we've got to continue to be diligent <coughs> while we grow in faithfulness. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. <coughs> Excuse me. So God is calling us to greater faithfulness to God's word. And this is not the time to circle the wagons and wait for Jesus to return. Or throw up our hands in the air and say, all things are lost. This is a season we should press forward in faith and invest the word of God in the souls of men. For it is not long before our faith will be sight. <coughs> Excuse me. And like Enoch, we'll be caught up and uh, see the Lord as he is. And until that time, we need to approach all the many activities that we have talked about and alliterated and talked about in the sermons <clears throat> from missions trips to, to mundane ministry activity. And we need to remember that in all of those things, even if we don't understand what God's doing, he's using us for an example. And without faith, you know what? It's impossible to please him. But with faith, there's nothing impossible with God. He is able to use us to, to make a dent in our communities, in our families, in our nation, if we allow him and our church uh, to continue to be a bright light that shines in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation until Jesus comes and catches us away. <coughs> so be a faithful proclaimer, a faithful investor, 
and a faithful example of God's promises. And uh, God will bless that. All right, so that concludes my teaching on uh, Jeremiah 32 and the vision, really, of continuing in diligence while we grow in faithfulness as we purchase the field. Really, Jesus has purchased the field with his own blood, so we just got to redeem it. We got to go out as ambassadors for Christ by faith and and uh, seal the deal, right, and make it make a contractual agreements. People need to bow their knee and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we need to train them and disciple them and send them to the uttermost parts of the earth. So... Uh, let's go ahead and uh, have a word of prayer, and uh, we can be uh, we can do our prayer pieces, and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time uh, to conclude this uh, message in the Word of God on being a faithful example. Lord, uh, thank you for making us faithful investors, and Lord, I pray that we're all faithful proclaimers as well. Thank you for the example that Lance has been in being a good uh, treasurer for the church, and, and thank you for what you have provided we're thankful for all of the opportunities and all the funds that you have given to World Missions through HBF. And, uh, Lord, it, only eternity will be able to tell uh, the impact of your people's uh, gifts uh, to accomplish the mission of God. And we're so thankful for that. Uh, Lord, the most precious thing in any local church, other than the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, is the saints themselves, the Lord, who indwell and endowed with the, the power of the Spirit of God and the Word of God in them. And they are precious possessions and they're yours. And so, Father, we're so thankful for the body of Christ. Uh, Lord, it's your church and you're building it, and the gates of hell will not be uh, prevailing against that. And so, Father, we're thankful for the position that you've given us. The Bible tells us clearly we're more than conquerors. Lord, we are able to rightly divide and discern uh, what what time it is. We know where we live in, the, in, in history because you're the God of history. And, Lord, even as the days grow darker and people uh, malign your word and, and take your word lightly and esteem those that would hold fast to the faithful word and rightly divide it as ignorant and unlearned lord we know that it is through uh, that simple faith of believing your message whether it's received or not lord we'll continue to proclaim it and we'll be faithful and tenacious in that regardless of the circumstances or the consequences and heavenly father we want to be those people uh, that are good investors lord that we invest in in eternal matters lord that our affection is set on things above lord our heart is set on things above and and, Lord, that we care about the people beneath because those are the people you've died to save. Help us to be a part of that and be good examples as we go about to fulfill your word like Enoch. Lord, may it be a good testimony that we please you. Lord, may you be our first priority. Lord, as we go to prayer here in just a few minutes, I pray, God, that you would just quicken our prayer life and that you would accomplish your mission through your power for your glory through the, the folks that are gathered here tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.